This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Join the conversation and message Buck on Facebook, Instagram, or email teambuck at iheartmedia.com. He may read it on the show. It's amazing to continue to watch the left in power, whether it's the Biden administration, all the enablers, all the people around it, the, the puppeteers, as I call them, and the people in the press who are just scrambling to find ways to make it seem like this guy who is the current commander in chief is in any way, shape or form really up to this job. But it's it's amazing to watch them not able to make sense of that, which is so clear and so obvious. In fact, they often take the wrong conclusions or, or come to the wrong conclusions from the most clear and, and most important evidence that you could see. And I'll get into exactly what I mean here in just a moment. I I also want to make sure that I'm doing everything that I can to help all small businesses out there. Because when you're running a small business, HR issues are a huge problem. HR issues can kill you. Wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations. And HR manager salaries are not cheap. An average of $70,000 a year. Bambi, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E, was created specifically for small business. You can get a dedicated HR manager, craft HR policy, and maintain your compliance all for just $99 a month. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat. From onboarding to terminations, they customize your policies to fit your business and help you manage your employees day-to-day, all for just $99 a month. Just go to Bambi.com slash Buck right now to schedule your totally free HR audit. That's Bambi.com slash Buck. B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash Buck. Critical for your business. Have Bambi take all the HR headaches away from you. $99 a month. Bambi.com slash Buck. Nobody really thinks that Benjamin Netanyahu is going to do what Joe Biden says, right? We, we all understand that. I know that there's a close relationship between uh, Israel and the U.S. and that they are a strong ally in the Middle East on so many issues. But it's as I've been saying all along, when someone threatens you with lethal force, you, your family, your people with lethal force, you do what you have to do To stop that threat. Everything else just starts to sound like noise. Everything outside of that is a secondary consideration at best. And I do want there to be a ceasefire, and I understand that desire. But I also know that it will come when the Israelis no longer have concerns about an imminent threat from Hamas rockets and and Hamas terrorist acts. That's just the way this is going to play out. So we have to keep focused on that. But the the thing for me that's that's pretty fascinating to watch it play out is how the left in this country manages to show us so many of the the philosophical dysfunctions that they bring to domestic political issues. You see in the context of Israel and the Palestinians, so many of the misconceptions, the moral relativism the obsession with victimology, the view of everything through a racial and ethnic lens, 
So much of that is apparent. And in that way, I think that this can be instructive for all of us because you see that the left approaches everything, foreign policy, domestic policy, economic issues, national security issues, applying these same intellectually bankrupt, morally rotten approaches. They use relativism, victimology, Marxism, critical race theory, which is really just a, a, a cousin and an offshoot uh, on the family tree of Marxism. But they apply those frameworks to it, and that's how they end up with absurd things. That's how they end up saying very, very stupid things. And not it seems as though they're not able to figure out the most basic concepts of foreign policy. Who are your friends? Who are your enemies? Do they know the difference? Does it matter? That's just start with that approach whenever you're talking. And by the way, that's just a good framework for for pretty much life. But it certainly works on the world stage. Who are your friends? Who are your enemies? Do they know the difference? Does it matter? Does it matter? And it seems that there are a lot of people in this country who have a strange affinity for Hamas, a terrorist death cult that will execute people for any number of crimes, uh, real or imagined, that will kill people who oppose the regime with impunity, that will that will kill homosexuals, uh, that will kill people for a whole range of not actual crimes. But Hamas is a terrorist organization that will determine that there must be an extreme punishment. They will throw people off of buildings. It's a mafia state with some jihadist flavor thrown in. That's what's really the essence of Hamas, an offshoot of the Muslim Brotherhood uh, in its origins. This should be quite clear. Any of you who have been to Israel, as I have, know it's a rule of law, well-functioning state where people just want to live their lives in peace and want to pursue their own dreams and, and have their own freedoms. You know, you have Palestinian members of the Knesset. You have Palestinians who have senior posts in government, and they support the Israeli efforts to stop the rocket fire from coming down all over Israel. They, they agree with them. I mean, I'll tell you this right now. For all my criticism of the Biden administration, if China invaded tomorrow, I'd be talking about how I want to be shoulder to shoulder with good old Uncle Joe and all the crazy libs repelling that invasion. You know, there are some things that really do bring people together. And when you're living in a small country, it's like the size of New Jersey, and you are getting hit with rockets all over the place. It is very understandable in those circumstances. It's very understandable that you're going to rally behind leadership and want your national government, want your armed forces to do everything they can to keep you safe. And yet the idiots of the American left see a moral equivalency here in some ways, or, or they, they can't seem to, to compute all of this. They don't seem to understand well, why is it that the Israelis end up killing more Palestinians than, than Hamas ends up killing Israelis? Well, because they're in this for very different reasons, trying to achieve very different ends. Hamas also started it, which is another very important fact to keep in mind as we go through all this. 
But for me, more than anything else, this this illuminates some of the core dysfunctions of left wing thinking. This shows you why not only do they get it wrong on Israel, Palestine, they get it wrong on so many things in so many areas. There is a, a deficiency in their approach. Uh, here's Chris Hayes of MSNBC, who it, it seems to be an increasingly radical leftist over the years. He, he used to just be a kind of you know, shrill beta male. But now he actually seems to want to pose as the revolutionary of sorts. But anyway, here he is. And by the way, before I I play the audio here, I want to be clear. I don't want anyone dying in Israel or in Gaza. I wish there was no violence, and I certainly don't want innocent civilians to be killed. But Hamas forces a situation where that will happen. And in fact, and there's plenty of proof of this, because they do have a cult of martyrdom. So to call it a death cult is by no means an exaggeration. You can even see there are there are mothers of suicide bombers that have been interviewed of, of Hamas and, and other uh, jihadist anti-Israel entities in the West Bank, the Gaza Strip. Uh, there are interviews with the parents, with with mothers, even of young of young boys who have been suicide bombers in Israel and they are considered Shahid. They are martyrs and. They celebrate this. They think that this was a good thing, a good idea to go in and strap. This is from years back when this was a constant threat against the Israelis. But they would send individuals with suicide vests into a crowded cafe in Tel Aviv or in Jerusalem and try to murder and maim as many people just who happen to be trying to get a drink, trying to see friends, see family. That's Hamas's version of their their glorious resistance. I mean, true evil, really evil personified. And yet Chris Hayes sits here saying, why don't we get an Iron Dome for Gaza? Play 19. You know, I, I, there's been these images I've seen of, of the, the Iron Dome system, right? So this, this missile defense system, the U.S. partly funded, uh, that has been intercepting Hamas rockets into Israel. And those rockets are being fired, uh, as a Palestinian human rights lawyer said, said on this show last night, indiscriminately civilians, a war crime by definition. And the Iron Dome has worked quite well. Today, some got through. I think two uh, uh, Thai nationals, Israeli, died as a result. But I look at those images and I think, well, good. That, that's good. I'm glad that those rockets are being intercepted. And I also, there's some part of me that's like, can we get an Iron Dome for Gaza? Can the American taxpayer foot the bill to protect innocent children in Gaza, where there's two million people in one of the most densely parted, uh, populated parts of the world so that they don't have death rain down upon them? The Iron Dome in Gaza is for Hamas to stop firing rockets. Then they'd have a de facto Iron Dome because Israelis don't want to bomb Gaza. How does... A primetime host at MSNBC not understand this because it's yet another deficiency of left wing thinking, bringing moral relativism into this as if the situations are the same, as if there's an equivalency here between Israeli airstrikes on positions that are Hamas militants, where, yes, there are and will be civilian casualties that are part of that, too. And the Hamas approach, which is just kill anybody you can, as many as you can go for it, do it as often as possible. If there was more parity among the military capabilities of Hamas and Israel, if we were anything near that, we would just have a bigger war. I think it was um, uh, Ari Fleischer who put out on Twitter, and I don't know if he coined this or if this is a quote from somebody else, 
But if Hamas disarmed, the violence would end tomorrow. If Israel disarmed, Hamas would end Israel. That's the truth. These are basic, fundamental understandings of the situation. So why does the left get this stuff so wrong? Because they apply the frameworks of uh, identity politics, racial Marxism, uh, victimology, uh, anti-colonial indoctrination. They apply all of those to this conflict today instead of just looking at it with clear eyes and saying, who's causing the violence and how do we stop the violence? I think it's uh, the media itself is finally beginning to air both sides of the dispute. Uh, Social media is doing things that you all are not able or willing to do. Uh, The images that people are seeing on social media, they cannot unsee. Uh, And I think that you have uh, changes that are going on. Things like the Tulsa riots, things like Black Lives Matter are seen as connected by a very large number of people, not just in the Democratic Party, but particularly particularly young people on campuses, uh, young people uh, all over the country. And I think this is something that's actually happening, not just in the United States. Um, There's a lot of pushback. There will be even more pushback. But I think people are are moving in the direction of understanding that that much many of these bromides, Israel has a right to defend itself. Do Palestinians have a right to defend themselves? Israel's security. The most insecure people in Palestine and Israel are Palestinians. And we talk about Israel's security. Uh, if people are people and we believe in human rights, which the United States supposedly stands for, then the kinds of things that we expect for ourselves, we should expect uh, for people, not just in Israel, but also in Palestine. Always... Be wary of eloquent, uh, sophomoric bullcrap like this. The bromides, he says, like Israel has a right to defend itself. Uh, yes, that is true. This is as I've said. They, they can try to tell people as much as they want that Israel shouldn't do what it is doing right now in response to these uh, Palestinian rocket attacks, Hamas rocket attacks. Remember, Hamas is the government of Gaza. So it's not like there's some little tiny fringe group that is firing some rockets that has nothing to do really with the the mass of the Palestinian people in Gaza. And Israel is just wildly overreacting to it and using it as an excuse to kick people out of their homes or take territory or whatever it may be. That's not happening right now. That's not the situation. But notice the connection made here by that uh, Rashid Khalidi guest on MSNBC. He refers to uh, to Jim Crow. He he refers to racial struggles in this country in the past. What does that have to do with Israel and Palestine? Well, I I know that the left has all these different frameworks that they applied and they say, oh, but, you know, Israel is an is an ethno nationalist state. And it's a terrible place. And, and I sit here and I say, how many Islamic states are there in the region? Do we ever hear them referred to as ethno-nationalist states? Yeah. Show up in Saudi Arabia and be like, hey, I'm a I'm a white Christian or a I'm a white Jew. And I demand, you know, equal rights and equal treatment. See how that goes for you. But. We, we get distracted here from the core of what's really happening. They, they want to always turn this into a, a historical struggle. I'll say this, uh, or a, a historical debate. Um, it does remind me of, of when you're in something of a toxic relationship. Some of you have maybe been through this. I've been through this, unfortunately, in life. 
you're in a toxic relationship. What, what is a sign of a toxic relationship? When you try to address a problem and the other party in that relationship does not want to address the problem and just wants to bring in other things that they disapprove of or don't, don't like in order to go on offense against you and avoid or even nullify the problem that you have raised. This is very destructive, right? Hey, you know, I, I invited you to this uh, to be my, my date to the wedding, and you were two hours late. And then it's, well, you didn't, you know, take me out to dinner on our anniversary, and you said you would, and we just had, you know, a, a, a cupcake instead or something, right? That's toxic. <laughs> you, you have to deal with the issue you're talking about. You can always find a way to make it about something else to bring up some other issue and focus in on that. Here you have, uh, you know, people that are going to try all these different historical analogies and bring up all these things that are not really about the issue at hand. And it's because they don't want to deal with the fact that this is quite clear. This is a straightforward situation with the Israelis and Hamas right now. I'm talking about the fighting. I'm not saying their overall circumstance in the region. Yeah, I know a lot of history, a lot of enmity, a lot of bad blood and all kinds of stuff. But you fire rockets at people, they're going to come back and hit you. And they're going to try to stop you from being able to fire rockets like that again. They're not they're not going to wait and see if you're going to be nice the next time. Basic reality of life. And if you're in a weaker position than they are, you shouldn't have fired rockets. Unwise. But Representative Jayapal, for example, is trying to find a way to make this about blaming Israel. Play seven. Well, we condemn Hamas's firing of those rockets, but I think you have to look at what prompted even that behavior. I think there was, uh, you know, the, the, the continuing annexation that Israel has been undertaking um, for years, actually. And, you know, Jake, I was at Khan al-Akmar several years ago when the bulldozers arrived to bulldoze that village. It was stopped by an injunction from the Supreme Court. But this has been a pattern of action from Israel that, frankly, has taken away the idea even of a two-state solution, has led to increased hopelessness from the Palestinian people. And I think what Hamas has done is obviously we condemn that, but we have to look at the power balance here or imbalance, as it were, and we have to put more responsibility on Israel. We condemn that, but that's the construction that you'll hear all the time. That's the construct, rather, you'll hear all the time from leftists on this. We have to put more responsibility on Israel. You know what Israel was doing until a couple of weeks ago? trying to get their people back to full free life after vac a mass vaccination campaign, trying to reopen, trying to have companies create really valuable intellectual property and prosperity for their own people and, and patents and things that will be useful all over the world. That's what Israel was doing. What were they doing in Gaza? Well, yes, there were people going about their lives. I understand that feeding themselves, sending their children to school. But what was the regime doing in Gaza? Stockpiling missiles to fire at Israel. Again, they can try to make this much more complicated. We can allow the faculty lounge of left wing loons to frame this however they want. At the end of the day, this is not a situation that requires a particularly 
uh, adept mind to understand. All you have to do is look at what is happening and understand that there are good people and there are bad people in this world. There are good decisions and bad decisions. There is right and wrong. And the moment you just start to think in those terms, instead of using a lot of jargon and bringing in all kinds of Marxism and intersectionality, you say Israel is going to defend itself and the Palestinian people should find better leadership than Hamas. Joe Biden came in and in just four months, he's frittered all of that away. He's undermined Israel and Prime Minister Netanyahu. He sent over a hundred million dollars to the Palestinian Authority with the, the PA, which is in bed with Hamas. Hamas, the terrorists that are firing those rockets you're showing right now, they've fired over 4,000 rockets into Israel. And every one of those rockets might as well have Joe Biden's name written on the side of it because it is his weakness, his appeal his moral relativism and ambiguity, his lack of backbone to stand up and stand with Israel that is causing this war in the Middle East. Now, Biden is certainly out of his depth and is being tested in a, in a variety of ways and found wanting already. But I, I do have to say that we like to sometimes push this a little a little more as as a Biden issue on the right than it is a lot of other factors, too. Now, would the mess around and find out approach of Hamas have been the same under a Trump administration? I don't think so. But I don't I don't know if it's quite accurate for uh, Ted Cruz to say the rockets fired might as well have Biden's name on it. Biden at our southern border. Yes, people are literally showing up with Biden T-shirts on and saying I'm here because of Biden. That's that's real. Biden rockets is a that's a that's a little Ted's pushing a little far on that one, Um, because here's the other side of this. At the top level, administrations, both Democrat and Republican, have largely the same approach to Israel. Now, that was a bit different during the Obama years, but there was no Obama administration uh, ending of USA to Israel. There was no Obama administration. You know, Obama said things that showed Israelis that he had a particular soft spot for the Palestinian cause as a civil rights and human rights struggle, right? Said things that definitely irked people inside of Israel. There's no question about that. But if you look at the actions, it wasn't that different. It wasn't that different. And this is this is where you see a lot of Democrats, uh, far left Democrats are upset. They're angry with their own side because they feel like at the top level, the Schumers, the Pelosi's. They are pretty pro-Israel in their statements. You know, they'll call for a need to be even handed and they'll call for a need to cease fire, But it's it's not really going to do anything. They know that they understand that they're just uh, they're just posturing. Um, there are some who go a little bit a little bit further than this. I mean, they love to attack Netanyahu. They view Netanyahu as a an Israeli conservative, right? They view Netanyahu as if the GOP existed in Israel, Netanyahu would be the head of it. That's the mentality that Democrats have, uh, and so you have people like Senator Dick Durbin here. Who knows that he's not he's not going to oppose Israel that much openly. Uh, He's not going to say anything that's going to upset not just the Israelis, but Jewish American voters who also pay close attention to a lot of this commentary. 
You know, even friends of mine like David Harsanyi will will say repeatedly and openly that they don't view anti-Israel sentiment as being different from anti-Semitism. You know, they, they don't view that as, as the great separation that others do. Uh, here's Dick Durbin talking about the policies of Netanyahu, though, who who he is someone who is safe for the left to attack on this stuff. Play two. I couldn't disagree more with the policies of Bibi Netanyahu when it comes to the treatment of Palestinians and the establishment of settlements. I, I think the two-state solution is the only realistic future in that part of the world, and the abandonment of that approach uh, by Netanyahu and his followers I don't believe is constructive and I think is added to the tension and stress between uh, Israel and the Palestinians. Uh, that's the reality, and I am certainly not going to endorse Netanyahu. Now let me add very quickly, I made a commitment early in my career that I'm standing by. I'm going to support the survival of Israel. Those who want to uh, cut back on the protective missiles and such that they need, uh, I don't join in that. They live in a very dangerous neighborhood. Although I wholeheartedly disagree with the Netanyahu policy, I am going to stand by my commitment to the survival of Israel. So I, I am mad at Netanyahu, but I stand by Israel. This is a classic establishment Democrat politician approach. You got to find something to make the the squad voters and, uh, you know, to make the AOC wing of the party. You got to give them something. But yeah, ultimately got to stay on the on the side of, of Israel on this as a Democrat, too. So there's this frustration. You see this playing out, especially among some of the younger uh, the younger Democrats in Congress who are pushing racial Marxism the squad comes to mind, among others, uh, the, the people that are pushing those ideas, they view Israel-Palestine through that lens. And so they see this as an opportunity to, you know, get, to make gains, if you will, in that regard, to, to make the case. Whereas Dick Durbin's been in the game a long time and, you know, he says, I, I'm going to stand by Israel at the at the end of the day. I'm with Israel, he's saying. But, you know, I, I don't like Netanyahu. He's the bad guy here. Any Israeli prime minister would react to firing to Hamas firing thousands of rockets in this way. Any Israeli prime minister, any of them would do this. You know, I mean, if, if you had Bernie Sanders as the prime minister of Israel, he would fi- he would have the IDF going and, and hunting down Hamas firing rockets, because if you didn't, your own people, your the, the citizens, the the people who live in the state of Israel would think you've lost your mind and they would oust you immediately, right? Well, this is, what are you going to sit there and just let the Iron Dome keep shooting down rockets, keep shooting down rockets? Because remember, that's not the only thing. That's not the only effort at terrorism that comes from the Palestinian, uh, Ham- Palestinian Hamas. That's not the only thing they're trying to do. So you have to take the fight to them. Once they've established these hostilities... You know, it's sort of like if, if somebody in a bar takes a, a swing at you with a bottle, maybe you're not and you're able to knock the bottle out of their hand. You're still going to punch them in the face because, you know, the next thing they're going to do is take a swing at you. As I've said, very straightforward. But Democrats make this all so much more complicated than it needs to be because they bring the wrong ideas, the wrong framework uh, in their approach to this. And they just they don't accept that there can be in their minds the the way they see this is that the palestinians are brown oppressed muslim and suffering from colonialism 
a, a colonial project. That is the way the left views the problem of the Palestinians. Um, the way people that understand the situation of Israel today and where the country is, is you've got a place that has made numerous overtures at serious peace deals that have always been rebuffed, that lives next door to a terrorist group, Hamas, that is the government now of Gaza and openly says and seeks the destruction of Israel and wants to murder as many Israelis as possible and celebrates the the shedding of Israeli blood, men, women and children whenever it can Se- openly celebrates it. Israel has civilian casualties and its military strikes and says this is terrible. We are sorry. We try to minimize this as much as possible. Hamas says we wish we could kill all of you. This is not the same thing. They're not on the same moral playing field. And we need to be very clear about that. But Democrats, you see, their their confusion about Israel and Palestinians is very much a mirror image of their confusion of issues in this country. Who who's the cause of violence on American streets? Police. That's absurd. That's idiotic. But where is the focus? All of it from the left, all the focus from the establishment or the establishment of the left is on anti-cop rhetoric because of police violence, even at a time where we have surging homicides in this country because they, they have a framework. What's the framework in this country that there is uh, a that they, there's a disproportionate number of uh, people of from communities of color who are shot by law enforcement. And even though the overall number of people shot by law enforcement is actually quite small, that violence is far more important to focus on by a factor of a thousand than the actual thousands and thousands of people being killed in American cities and towns across the country year in and year out that have nothing to do with police. And in fact, larger numbers of people dying because of the Democrat narrative about police as the bad guys. You see corrupt illogical, immoral ideas have consequences, whether you're applying it to what's going on right now in the fight against Hamas or you're applying it to so-called police reform efforts in this country. Should we be worried about the variants? Um, I think we would be remiss to say that um, we are out of the woods. Um, this, this pandemic, this virus has sent us too many curveballs to say that we um, we too early to declare victory. Um, certainly with virus circulating in other parts of the world, that is in high degree that uh, gives the opportunity for more variants to emerge. Um, so I still, um, it's among the things that keeps me up at night. Um, but right now, the variants that we see here, and we're doing a lot of sequencing now. Not out of the woods. Not out of the woods. This is what we have to hear now. Because of the variants. You know, just let it go, CDC. Leave us alone. Just stop. Stop being crazy, CDC. Stop. But they won't. I got Rochelle Walensky. You know, she'll change what she says next week. Remember, you were not to question what the CDC tells you. But the CDC can change its mind whenever it wants. (laughs) Oh, okay. So it's. Written in stone, but they'll just bring out a new stone and chisel something else on it. I I see how this goes. I get it now. There's a need, a very clear need. 
to do everything we can here to get people out of this lockdown COVID forever mindset. Because as you're already seeing, I think people are quite aware of it. There is a whole there are a whole lot of folks out there who don't want to let this go. There are a lot of people whose attitude about all of this is they're going to keep masking up for at least months, if not years, and they still don't think it's safe. And you see this first and foremost with the desire to continue masking children, which is I think it's abuse. I mean, there's different levels of child abuse, right? I mean, people argue, you know, some people would argue that taking a, you know, a hairbrush and spanking your kid with it or something, you know, hard is, is child abuse. Uh, other people would say, well, if, you know, you t- touch a kid's hand to a, like a hot iron, that's, you know, criminal child abuse. And you should go to you should be arrested for that. Um, but this is abuse. I mean, strapping a mask on a kid and saying, go, go play outside with your friends go play sports, go, go do competitive athletic endeavors as a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old, and you got to wear a mask, uh, this is absurd. And I find it very troubling that there are so many Americans who are willing to go along with this, who are, are willing to say uh, that this is okay. Of course it's not okay. They should know that it is not okay. So why the confusion? Why the issue? Because they've been brainwashed um, by the CDC. Because they're incapable of thinking for themselves on this one. Because we've had so much. I mean, the mass media. And it's, it's what's on your TV screens. But it's also, it's your computer. It's your smartphone. It's just the constant inundation with Fauciite propaganda has been enormously destructive. Oh, and then there's Pelosi, who is running around saying that you still have to wear a mask on the floor of Congress. You still you have to do it. Play 12. Members are reminded that the announced policies of January 4th, 2021, as updated on May 11th, remain in effect with respect to the wearing of masks. The chair will reiterate that members and staff are currently required to wear masks at all times in the hall of the House, except when a member has been recognized by the chair or when a member acting as chair is speaking. This is busybody hall monitor control on steroids. You know, you don't have to wear it in a lot of other places in in the Congress. But when you're when you're actually on the floor of Congress, you got to, you know, with the cameras there. And because Pelosi says so, because she has control there and she's going to wield that control. Um, Many of us saw this coming all along, so it's, it's not even the least bit surprising. But to see how. They don't even pretend it's about disease and epidemiology anymore. It's not. It's because we say so. It's because our team, your team, Democrats became team mask, double mask, even when outside alone and vaccinated, double mask because we're Democrats and it's so important to us and we're we've internalized all this. And then the other side was, why are you being so crazy? You know, yeah, maybe there were some people on the right who were a little bit uh, less concerned, a little bit too lax about some of their, you know, exposure to possible COVID at different times. I'm sure that's a real thing. 
But by and large, the conservative position on this has just been don't be crazy. Follow the actual data that you have. Be reasonable about what works and what doesn't. And that has been a huge problem for the left, for the Democrats. They had to be on board for all this because the moment they started to allow, this is why the reversal of the mask mandate is such a big deal to them, or at least the removal temporary, I believe, removal of a mask mandate from the from the CDC at the federal level uh, is so important. The, the moment that they have to admit that one thing is stupid, it opened up a hundred other things they've made us done as being stupid, right? When the, the second that they can say it's anything other than because we say so, then we get to say, well, hold on a second. If you admit that vaccinated people, yeah, it's not perfect, but they're safe enough that they shouldn't have to wear masks. Why? Why did you say that we had to wear masks outside all this time again? Why did you say that we should have been doing this when we go into a restaurant, but not when we sit down at a restaurant? I mean, there's a huge list of things you can point to. You say, well, this makes absolutely no sense. Huge list of things that just is is utterly bizarre, stupid, counterproductive, arbitrary. And now we can all see it for ourselves. Clear as day. But Pelosi still wants to. Yeah, you have to mask because I because I said so. Memorial Day is coming up and so is Independence Day, 4th of July. This is a time when people start to think about how much they love this country and how important it is to show it. These days, there are a lot of folks out there. There's a lot of different institutions and a lot of ideas that try to push down America, try to make you think that you shouldn't be proud of this country. Well, you should show that that's nonsense. This is still the greatest country, the greatest beacon for freedom and hope that humanity has ever created. We're proud to live here, proud to be a part of it. And you can show that with a display of the American flag. I want you to get your flag right now from Allegiance Flag Supply. This is a company that's all about America. Their seamstresses are located here in the States, unlike a lot of other companies that have this work done overseas. And this is just a better quality flag. A lot of the ones you'll see out there get tangled, mildewed, torn, and shredded after just a few months outside. Well, Allegiance Flag pulled together the most important different things that they could do to make sure that these are great flags. And that's why they're going to last longer, brighter colors, more durable, and also not get all tangled up. They will fly the way you need them to. The quality of the craftsmanship is unparalleled. Right now, you should go show your love for this country, your patriotism with a flag this Memorial Day. Get it at showallegiance.com. Just go to this website, showallegiance.com. Dot com And make sure you use the promo code BUCK when you get to checkout for 10% off your order. The best American flags you're going to get anywhere. They will last, they will look beautiful, and they'll show that this is a country that we still are proud of. Showallegiance.com is the website. Get your flag today. Make sure you use promo code BUCK for 10% off your order. House Democrats vote... In favor of a January 6th commission, a 9-11 style commission for the January 6th insurrection, also known as as a riot for which people have already begun to serve solitary confinement sentences for crimes, including uh, vandalism and trespassing. Kurt Schlichter is with us now. He is a senior writer at townhall.com. He's also 
a veteran and a lawyer and a guy who knows many things. Kurt, great to have you. Great to be here. The January 6th commission is not going to be anything other than an extension, really, of what we've seen in the past in situations like this, whether it's the two impeachments against Trump or the Russia Russia special counsel probe of Mueller, uh, where this is just going to be used for propaganda purposes. Or, or am I missing something, Kurt? No, you're not missing. This is a festival of onanism. It'll do nothing but give transitory pleasure to the Democrats and allow them to distract from President Asterisk's unbroken track record of failure. Uh, gas lines, war in the Middle East, inflation. It's like Jimmy Carter's coming back without the competence. Amazing to see how quickly things have unraveled. And, and I would even note that the, the border for me is the one that's the, the most obvious and direct failure of the Biden administration, as in they ch- he changed the, the approach. He changed the rules and the floodgates were open. But you name all these other things, too. I mean, the economy, the economy right now should be a rocket ship that everyone feels like they're just trying to get a piece of. And instead, people are really concerned about inflation, really concerned that we may uh, stall out or even sputter and start heading in the wrong direction. And and it just goes to show you, I mean, we're, we're reliving so many of the failures of the Obama years all over again because Democrats take the wrong lessons from the pain that we, the American people, have to go through. Well, Buck, I think you're missing the bigger point here and why we should be celebrating, which is no mean tweets. We don't have a guy in the White House being mean to celebrities and other politicians of both parties, to the extent there are two parties. Uh, We have no mean tweets and we should be I, I guess I guess that should be enough. Now, it's not enough for you or for me or for our listeners, but I guess that makes us bad people. It's stunning that the journos uh, out there are still trying to 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 push the storyline of an insurrection i mean this is the it's a term they use very intentionally you know and and i i see the propagandistic effect of it kurt the same way that they always talked about russia collusion which was always fascinating because collusion is not a crime unless you're colluding to fix prices or something as a company. But this Russia collusion, there was a federal statute that they could have referenced Russia conspiracy, but they always wanted to leave it open. They, you know, it was all about narrative creation. So even if they didn't find a crime, collusion was almost like a willingness to think about this other crime that Trump didn't actually do. You see this now with, with the way they used the word insurrection to make it sound like there was a real uh, serious effort to overthrow the United States government. I mean, it, it, this if you had had, you know, how, how many people would it really take to deal with QAnon shaman? And if they went in there and they were using there was some lethal force used, as we know, against Ashley Babbitt. But if there was a broader usage of, of lethal force against the, those people, the reason it didn't happen is because they weren't using lethal force, meaning the protesters inside the building. How can you have it? How can you have a bloodless coup, so to speak? Well, with the blood's on one side, as we know, when you have people who are unarmed and taking selfies inside the Capitol building. Well, you can't and you don't. And I I think this is just uh, uh, for liberals who watch CNN, uh, MSNBC, CNN, uh, you know, to essentially uh, uh, kill time and distract between Biden failures. 
Uh, now, look, you <clears throat> were in a country torn by a civil war. I've spent time in a country torn by a civil war, and I was in a real insurrection here in Los Angeles, egged on by Maxine Waters. I'm talking about the L.A. riots. I served in the Army for three weeks on the streets. So to those of us who are, you know, adults with experience outside of gender studies seminars and uh, the uh, uh, MSNBC green room, this is not only a joke, but it's a joke in bad taste. And I think that they're overstepping. I mean, normal people look at this and they start seeing the video footage, which the federal government is attempting to suppress remarkably. And they're seeing these guys saying, yeah, we're going to be peaceful. And the cops saying, come on in. As a lawyer, I love this. And I can't. And, and have you noticed that the uh, uh, feds are doing everything they can to push off these trials? You have a right to a speedy trial. In, in certain circumstances, the government can ask for more time. And it has. It's trying to push it out. If I was representing any of these guys, and I don't do criminal law, but if I was representing any of these guys, I'd say, no, 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 no. No waiver of time. You take us to trial. Oh, by the way, under Brady, I want every foot of film you took. I want every inch of video, every single one to defend my client. It's amazing how they've used this. They've weaponized this. It's it's a, a club with which they bludgeon all political opponents now, all GOP, conservative, Trump supporters, everybody. The insurrection. We're speaking to Kurt Schlichter. My insurrection. Yeah, we're speaking to Kurt Schlichter. He's a veteran, a senior writer at townhall.com. And, and Kurt, uh, you know, I actually wanted you to tell us a little bit about because you said you spent time in the military when you were deployed on the streets of Los Angeles during what really did feel like an insurrection. What was what was going on? I mean, I, you know, th this does not get the attention uh, in in our you know, collective historical memory that it should. What was that like? Well, you know, I compare it to Capitol Hill, which looked like, uh, you know, except for a unknown federal officer murdering an unarmed trespasser um it, it, you know that seemed like a, a, a fairly tame frat party now in los angeles stuff was on fire people were getting shot you know your nostrils were filled with smoke and in my hands i had a m16 a1 because it was national guard and we still had the a1 fully automatic real world assault rifle and a bunch of ammo it was serious stuff. It was real. And what happened on Capitol Hill was a joke. And we need to continue to treat it as a joke. And finally, some Republicans are starting to come around and treat it with the lack of seriousness it deserves. What do you make of the 35 GOP members who voted in the House along with this? I, I just Democrats don't have this. Democrats don't have elected officials on key issues, on important moments, decide to spit in the face of their base, of their party, of their own side. It is a constant, you know, it's like the Romneyite disease. It is a constant challenge for the GOP. Yes. Well, there are less of them now. But remember that the, the left has an advantage to keep its people in line. It has the media and the culture and the institutions. And, and to try and force our people over, it can tempt them with the media, the culture, and the institutions. I mean, Liz Cheney, who represents a fraction of a fraction of Republicans, who's got a, a poll rating in Wyoming that's right down there with pedophiles, 
is, is getting uh, shots on every single media outlet, and not just little hits. Long, in-depth interviews because she's the conscience of the Republican Party. Now, as fun as it is to see the Democrats uh, tongue-bathing a Cheney, it's bizarre that anyone could take her seriously as anything else but a puppet and a willing one. She's essentially dancing for quarters. We're speaking to Kurt Schlichter, veteran, townhall.com, senior writer and lawyer. And Kurt, uh, do you think do you think that there's any chance that this commission actually goes through that that the Senate would allow this? I think that uh, we will find 41 people to block it. I think when uh, Mitch McConnell, who is no who was not happy with the president and not happy what happened on Capitol Hill. I think uh, he understands absolutely that this is designed to be the lead news item for the next year and a half, as opposed to the disaster that is the Biden administration. And no one is more persuasive than the murder turtle. Now, we, we all have, look, as hardcore conservatives, we all have some beats with uh, uh, McConnell. That's no secret. But you got to give him his due. He is the uh, toughest, most ruthless, most effective Senate majority leader probably of all time. He is unbelievably good at his job. And if he doesn't want this to happen, it will unhappen. And yet the media will continue to do their own version of the January 6th commission day after day. They'll find ways to continue to bring this up. And, and I, I think it's interesting that there's, there's been so little attention paid to the fact that you know, there was the fact that there's a video, for example, that is out there and the people have seen where you have Capitol Hill police saying, OK, if you guys are going to be cool, you can come into the building now. I, you know, I, I can tell you that if I were, you know, if I were here in New York City in, uh, in City Hall and I was armed by the state to protect the building, I, I would not allow an insurrectionist if I really thought that's what's going on or just walk in and hang out and take selfies. Well, look, uh, I, I don't think a lot of these are going to trial. I think they're trying to push it off as long as possible. Um, I think one guy's pleading guilty and agreed to give evidence. Uh, he should be the only one that uh, incoming President DeSantis or whatever woke Republican uh, replaces this desiccated old weirdo who's currently president uh, when he comes into office and pardons every single one of them. Not because anything they did was particularly right or okay, but because of simple fairness, BLM and Antifa scumbags don't get treated that way. They get their charges dismissed. Fair is fair. One set of rules, one set of laws. Yeah, there's people who are sitting in solitary confinement right now. And the judges that refused to give them bail because they were there on January 6th, at, you know, they were riding on January 6th inside the Capitol building. Kurt, I'm, I don't know if you've seen this, but the, but at least in one case, a judge has said we can't let you out because of the continued threat of insurrection. This is in, this is insane. I mean, that is actually Soviet level absurdity and, and, and real abuse of state power. Uh, it really is. And when you have judges who uh, do not judge fairly or correctly, that destroy that, that it's not only wrong in itself, it destroys the faith in the system. And your faith in the system should be uh, teetering on the precipice right now. The fact is there are two sets of laws, Buck. There is one set of law for people favored by the regime. There is another set of law for people like you and me and all our listeners. That is intolerable. 
we've tolerated this long because we're not used to it. This is not normal and people are resistant to accepting it. And, and you can see that with some Republicans. You, you see them a while ago, no, 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 trust the system. And now they're going, yeah, I've just seen a little too much. Now I know there's a real problem. People are getting woke, conservative woke, to what's really happening. And as people pull up to the gas pump and pull out their wallets and find they're paying over five bucks a gallon for gas, because uh, President Asterisk uh, wants to cater to the weather cultists, they're going to start thinking, you know, the news keeps talking about the insurrection, but I'm running out of money to feed my family. Who's going to stand up for me? And that and is the, the opportunity. Is hopefully us. That's the opportunity yeah. the GOP has. We will see if they take it. Kurt Schlichter, everybody, townhall.com for his latest pieces. Kurt, always a pleasure, man. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Kamala Harris keeps a list of reporters who, quote, don't appreciate her lived experience and doesn't like words such as guarded being used to describe her. Oh, wait a second. You mean Kamala is a really vain and petty person? Is this a surprise to anyone? Even Democrats recognize in the primary that this is not a person who is impressive. This is not a person who should be in a position of leadership. She does whatever she has to do to get ahead. She is conniving and ruthless and just happen to be in the right place at the right time for this Democrat party to get picked as Biden's VP. That is it. So I guess I would go on the list of people who don't, quote, fully understand her. Uh, Washington Post journalist Chelsea Janes, according to the Daily Mail here, is believed to be on the list. And uh, she covered a Harris event and said that that, uh, her salute was screeching. Harris is known for being cagey and aloof around reporters. She got a new cell phone and old friends reportedly find it hard to reach her. Yeah, she's trying to, you know, take herself away from a lot of folks here because the more you know about Kamala Harris, the less impressed, the less the, the, that the smoke and mirrors around her can actually work on you. But you'll also note that Democrats don't in any way view this as something that they have to show solidarity with this reporter on. No, no, of course not. They, they know that their job, the job of journalists at, main, at, at corporate outlets, we do not use the term, I try very hard not to use the term mainstream here anymore because why give them that credit? The, the job of corporate journalists is to do the bidding of the Democrat Party. That is their job. That's what they're constantly trying to do. And if that means that they have to throw some of their own under the bus, so be it. Got no problem with that. This is from this Daily Mail piece. She particularly doesn't like the word cautious and aides look out for synonyms too. careful, guarded and hesitant don't go over well. But she continues to retreat behind talking points and platitudes in public 
and declines many interview requests and opportunities to speak for herself, including this article, the Daily Mail says. At times, she comes off as so uninteresting that television producers have started to wonder whether spending thousands of of dollars to send people on trips with her is worthwhile, given how little usable material they get out of it. (laughs) Here you have the vice president of the United States, who is such a mediocrity and so boring, just so utterly uninteresting, vapid and incapable of saying anything worthwhile that people who are clearly on her team, that Democrat politicians who will do everything they can to assist her, uh, they, I'm sorry, Democrat journalists who will do everything they can to assist her, they're like, we shouldn't even bother because this is such a waste of time. <laughs> Which, this is a perfect metaphor for the entirety of the, of the Harris vice presidential phenomenon. Boring, not worth anyone's time, the whole thing is about optics, and they've got to protect the optics at all costs. Kamala Harris? I mean, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want, you know, Kamala Harris in, in charge of the leasing office in the building where I live. I, I wouldn't want Kamala Harris in charge of a preschool. She's the vice president. It's amazing that this is a situation we're in. But at least people realize she's really boring. Do you think you have free speech online? No, you know you don't. We see what big tech does. You also don't have privacy online. They're tracking you all the time. They use your IP address. That identifies you on your computer, where you are, what you're doing all the time. So how about you restore some privacy and in the process, revoke big tech's right to selling all your information about every website you click on, everything you do. You need a virtual private network. The best one in the business is ExpressVPN. This is just an app. You download it to your phone, to your laptop. You'll have it on your devices, and you will have protection. It hides your IP address from big tech spying eyes so that they can't sell your data, and it makes it harder for them to track everything you're doing. So create privacy and security for yourself when you're using the Internet. Revoke big tech's right to your data. Secure yourself with the VPN that I trust for online protection. Visit expressvpn.com slash buck. That's expressvpn.com slash buck. You'll get three extra months free on a one-year package with my exclusive link. Just go to this website now. Set it up. Expressvpn.com slash buck. So where does this conflict between the IDF and Hamas go? We've got our friend David Ifun with us now. He is the editor-in-chief of the Algaminer. David, great to have you back. Great to be with you, Buck. So we are seeing the headlines that the ceasefire demand from the Biden administration, as if that's something that they can really do, has not been met, uh, at least as of me speaking to you now. What what is going on? Why why is the conflict continuing? What are the uh, Israeli defense forces and what's Netanyahu's government trying to achieve? Well, I think it's simple, um, to be frank. And uh, what Israel is facing and, and how Israel is responding is really no different to how any other democracy or country, frankly, would would, would behave. You know, you have a, a terrorist state that borders um, the, the, the southwestern part of Israel that's firing missiles into the country 
randomly targeting the civilian population. So Israel has one objective. It's, 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 it's to get these missiles to stop and obviously to create an effective deterrence um, to ensure that they won't restart at any time in the future. So for Joe Biden, the president or anybody to come along and say, well, um, you should really wind this down. Um, it's kind of ridiculous because, you know, <laughs> what do you mean you should wind this down? Do you mean that um, you should wind it down if the rockets continue being fired? You should not respond. I mean, that's really the height of condescension and insults. And of course, the Israeli response will be, you know, thanks, but no thanks, um, President Biden. Um, when it comes to stuff like this, we really couldn't care less what you have to say. You have people like Senator Dick Durbin, a Democrat, saying that he, quote, couldn't disagree more with the policies of Netanyahu when it comes to the treatment of Palestinians. I mean, what what treatment specifically do are, are Democrats like Durbin referring to here? I don't know what he's referring to specifically, but I can tell you one thing when it comes to um what what the Israeli government is is doing to to, to try and um, you know target uh, missile and, and terrorist infrastructure in in Gaza uh, and stop this rocket fire. This is not you know some Netanyahu government policy. This is the policy of everybody in Israel, including we we had a piece yesterday. Israelis in the south who are under fire don't want this to stop because they understand that if it does and if Israel folds to international pressure. That's a victory for Hamas. That is encouragement and a license for Hamas to continue and do this in the future. This is not uh, Netanyahu government policies. This is Israel, all of Israel, defending itself. And the country is pretty unified behind this action. And frankly, whoever the president would be, whoever the prime minister would be of any country, there's no other way that you can respond. So, you know, any suggestion otherwise really is obvious. It's ridiculous. It's prejudicial. And obviously, it's not going to be taken seriously because, you know, you're saying to Israel that you should behave in a way that no other country should behave. You're holding Israel to a different standard. Uh, and, and that's that's obviously a prejudicial approach. David, there's also a, a line of analysis that I keep seeing popping up in different uh, journalistic outlets, uh, at least allegedly journalistic outlets, where they're saying this could save Benjamin Netanyahu's political career or something along those lines. Can you can you tell us what the people who are making that claim, what are they really getting into? What are they saying? Because Netanyahu's been under pressure. This will essentially bail him out because the country has to galvanize around him. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a horrible accusation from people who think they're very clever, but have no clue what they're talking about, to be frank. Um, you know, obviously, this is a war. Um, you know, war is, 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 is a horrible thing, right? It's a horrible thing for populations on both sides. You know, you have Israelis, including a young Israeli child of five years old who was buried by his father in, in recent days. And obviously, you have deaths on the other side as well. Um, I don't believe that Israel is responsible for the vast majority of the civilian deaths, and there's been a great deal of, of horrendous misreporting on that front. We can discuss that in a second. Um, but to say that a leader, government leader, um, you know, w- would allow this to happen, um, you know, just to sort of further their own political means, is is really a, a libel, a blood libel, because you know you're 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 accusing him of sort of responsibility for this kind of cost, this cost in human life, 
um, you know, to promote a cynical political agenda. You know, it's unclear at this stage where things are going to go. The most likely scenario right now is that Israel's going to go to elections again, regardless of what's happening here. But I can say with absolute clarity now that the support for uh, what Israel is doing comes from across the political spectrum in Israel, from all the way to the right to all the way to the left, including from from the Arab parties. So, you know, this this is this is a, a strange um, and completely misguided um, accusation. And frankly, it comes from people, um, you know, who think they're being clever, but, but really don't understand anything about the region or Israeli politics or Middle Eastern geopolitics. We're speaking to David Efun. He's the editor in chief of the Algaminer. Uh, go to algaminer.com for Jewish and Israel news. David, is is it looking like this may just be, I mean, assuming that this comes to a, an end uh, here soon, imminently, that this might have just been, even from the perspective of Hamas, which my friend David Harsanyi, I think, has rightly referred to as a death cult, uh, that this was just a miscalculation from their end, top to bottom. Well, I don't think it was, you know, from Hamas's perspective, that there, there was an objective over here. And to, to be frank, they, they, they've been successful in achieving that objective. Um, you know, you have a situation under the Trump administration where support for Israel was, was unequivocal, where there was an understanding that progress could be achieved in the region um, despite, you know, Palestinian uh, rejectionism. And, you know, with Biden coming to office, there's been a very significant walk back from that position with the renewal of aid to the Palestinians, for example, with the renewal of, of um, the, 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 the efforts to, to reach an agreement with Iran. Um, and just, in, you know, the, 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 really the, the sort of, I mean, they're verbally stating commitments to the Abraham Accords, but doing absolutely nothing to reinforce them or push them forward. And in fact, you know, it seems with every day they're becoming weakened. And, you know, that's created an opening. You know, Hamas has, has seen an opening here to sort of push themselves back into the center of, of foreign, foreign policy and the international agenda. And, you know, this, this is how they do it. You know, it's, it's a sort of, um, you know, the, the, the function of, of a gangster state. You know, we see this obviously with, with North Korea. Um, we see this with, with, you know, various states that, that sort of want to shake down the West. Obviously, Iran behaves like this all the time. You know, they create damage and then they say to the West, well, you know, here's the cost, um, you know, to make sure that your windows don't get broken again. You know, um, so they've seized the opportunity here. They've they've taken the the pulse of, 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 of the climate in Washington. Um, and uh, there's, there's really no coincidence that this is happening now, a couple of months in, into the Biden administration. And it seems just by the Biden administration's response, you know, they're sending more money and they're they're starting to pressure Israel, um, you know, pr- pretty pretty aggressively. Um, that that Hamas is is, is is getting what they wanted out of this. You know, they know what they're doing. I know a lot of That's this, David, is is pushed by those who just are looking to take any shot they can at the former uh, Trump administration or what was the Trump administration on behalf of the Biden administration now. But you've probably seen this too. People saying in in a in a smarmy smug fashion looks like those abraham accords didn't do anything as if the abraham accords were about gaza and hamas what 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 is your response to that i mean for people that are trying to discount what happened at the end of the trump administration with those peace 
agreements, those normalization agreements that were signed with other Arab countries in the region and Israel. Tell us about the importance of that and, and what you think of the criticism that's being made now that, well, because there's a problem with Gaza, there must be an issue with the or rather it just nullifies the Abraham Accords. Yeah, I mean, they've got it exactly backwards. My, my good friend Shani Moore has a great piece up at Newsweek. Um, you know, Shani is, is a person of the left who advised, um, you know, left-wing Israeli prime ministers, brilliant, brilliant fellow. And, uh, you know, he talks about, you know, people, you know, under Jared Kushner, when sort of he had this brief, it was, he, was, he was the butt of all jokes, you know, in, in, in polite Washington. Um, the idea that, you know, this novice could come with, with his, you know, fresh set of ideas and make any changes. But the truth is, you know, the, the team there, and, you know, I'm not speaking to the, the, the wider political question, more was achieved uh, in terms of Middle East progress under, you know, the, the four years of his tenure than probably, you know, decades and decades before that. Now you have supposedly the, the adults back in charge. And, you know, a couple of months into it, the region is in flames again. Um, nobody is learning the lessons, you know, very hard, <laughs> concrete lessons, which, by the way, if you talk to the Israelis, they'll tell you that this is just not how it works over there. Um, the previous administration had a far better understanding um, and policies that were effective. Now, this business of saying, well, um, you know, they, 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 three months in, um, things are, are going to hell, and it must be because of the previous administration. Well, why didn't this happen when Trump moved the embassy? Why didn't this happen when he withdrew funding from, from the Palestinians in UNRWA? And the reason is because the, 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 you know, the, the region responds to strengths um, in a way that is you know, more balanced and, 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 and the belligerent actors um, check themselves. Um, and it responds to weakness in exactly the opposite fashion. You know, when it sees those opportunities, um, they'll, they'll they'll jump at it, and they they, they, they use um, you know they'll use actors like Hamas and the Iranians and Hezbollah and Islamic Jihad um, use violence as a tool for leverage when they sense that they'll get somewhere with it. Obviously, they knew that under the Trump administration there was no chance of that. Now they're seeing an opening under the Biden administration. David Afoon, go to the algaminer.net. David and his team are doing great work there for Jewish and Israel News, algaminer.com. David, thanks so much. Great to be with you, bud. So many losers when you look at Democrats in Congress. I mean, these, these guys in particular we're about to talk about are just losers. You got uh, Swalwell, the spy who shagged me. And you got this other guy, Tim Ryan, who honestly, the fact that anyone cast a vote for this clown makes me fear for the future of this country and of humanity. He's a charmless, brainless blob of platitudes and talking points. That's what Tim Ryan is. But just listen to the way they think that they can they can lecture Americans about the January 6th commission. And how they're really just concerned here with protecting our protecting our sacred democracy. That's what this is really about. Here's a here's Swalwell taking a break from Chinese spies for a moment. Play three. A Republican uh, told me last week uh, at the House gym, uh, he said, when did you guys become, you know, the party that stands up uh, for cops? 
uh, Joy. And I, I think you are seeing that this is a choice between our Constitution and chaos. And Republicans are standing with chaos. They're the chaos party. Uh, and we are the ones who are backing the officers uh, who put their lives uh, on the line for us, who were in hand-to-hand -hand combat for hours that day, uh, who don't give a rip about politics, but want to make sure uh, that their sacrifices mattered. Uh, three officers died, including the officer you just referenced. Uh, one lost an eye and another lost multiple fingers. Uh, they deserve uh, to have a commission that looks at what happens, what happened that day, and to ensure that no officer and no democracy ever weathers something like that again. I mean, Swalwell is a, is a vile little turd, uh, but notice he says that three officers died. None of those officers were killed by protesters based on everything that we know as of today. That didn't happen. So the fact that officers had heart attacks or strokes in the days after this event, that, that's not, that's not a, a, a murder, and they won't be able to, to, to claim it's a murder. And if they did, they'd, they'd end up being laughed out of court, I think. I would assume, it will, although we live in a crazy world with a lot of bad judges these days. Uh, but notice that this is the only time Democrats seem to really respect and back the cops. What do they think it's like? to be a member of law enforcement and have Antifa throwing bricks at your face and bottles of urine at you. Because that happens constantly. It happened last year hundreds, thousands of times to officers across the country. Officers were temporarily blinded by lasers intentionally shot in their eyes. I'll tell you this. If somebody said, hey, I'm shooting a laser in your eyes and I'm going to blind you with it, I would use lethal force against that person and not think twice about it. If I really thought they could blind me, I'm not going blind because some psycho Biden voter has a laser in his hands. Not happening. If somebody said they're going to throw bleach in your eyes and, and try to blind you and you had a firearm on you, would, would you use it? I would. But, but those cops, those federal officers, none of that matters to Democrats because those are Biden voters. We see the huge, disgusting double standard here. And then there's... Tim Ryan, another one, screaming about this. He's a moron. Play nine. I want, I want to thank the gentleman from New York and the other Republicans who are supporting this and thank them for their bipartisanship. To the other 90% of our friends on the other side of the aisle, holy cow. The incoherence. No idea what you're talking about. Ben Gaza, you guys chased the former Secretary of State all over the country, spent millions of dollars. We have people scaling the Capitol, hitting the Capitol Police with lead pipes across the head, and we can't get bipartisanship. What else has to happen in this country? Cops. This is a slap in the face to every rank-and-file cop in the United States. If we're going to take on China, if we're going to rebuild the country, if we're going to reverse climate change, we need two political parties in this country that are both living in reality, and you ain't one of them. If we're going to reverse climate change, if we're going to reverse... This guy ran for president. Give you a sense how delusional he was. Ohio. You guys voted? No, not you listening to this show, but Ohioans voted for this guy? It's embarrassing. Really, that, that, I would I would be embarrassed to tell anybody that I voted for this total jerk. But this is this is who uh, makes the most noise on the Democrat side about the January sixth commission clowns. Shawshank for January sixth detainees. The government argues the events of January sixth, along with the defendant's skepticism 
about the outcome of a 2020 election are evidence the accused are a threat to society. That's the piece in American Greatness by Julie Kelly. We have her colleague, a senior writer at American Greatness, Pedro Gonzalez, with us now to discuss this issue a bit and what's uh, talked about in this article. Pedro, great to have you back. Hey, thanks for having me, Buck. So from what I understand, and I've checked this in a few different places now, you have a number of individuals from the riot on January 6th who are being held in solitary confinement, no bail, and as part of the the judges who have, have denied them bail, you know, which you, which you do usually as somebody is a, a threat to society or a, or a flight risk, these people are, are neither in any reasonable a lot of them actually have no previous criminal record whatsoever. Right. And and I understand that these are people who very likely broke the law that day with either a, you know assault on a police officer, destruction of property. But they're holding them in solitary confinement. The judges are holding them under the premise that they are a continued threat of insurrection because they don't accept the January. They don't accept rather the uh, 2020 election results. I mean, Pedro, that sounds like political prisoner stuff. Right. And all I can think about as we're discussing this is the fact that, if you recall, not long ago, we had uh, some riots and looting and anarchy that rose to the level of what some people would call an insurrection. When you have mass movements across the country who are saying that the political system, the entire public sphere itself is racist and evil and needs to go. That was the thrust of the Black Lives Matter riots. And the people that were involved in rioting, often cases or oftentimes, were actually just let loose. If you recall, there was a police commissioner or a former commissioner who, speaking to Fox News, I think, said that virtually every single person who was arrested in New York for rioting would get a slap on the wrist and be out in no time, in part because they had eliminated cash bail and just because uh, this is how this is how the system works now. This is how political machines in parts of the country work if you're uh it doesn't actually matter if you're an insurrectionist as much as it matters whose team you're on and unfortunately for the people that shuffled into the capitol building on january 6th and it seems like they did so with the approval of capitol police department by the way julie kelly has also recently obtained footage that shows capitol police calmly talking to trump supporters and saying we're not going to stop you from entering the building just you know remain peaceful uh, well, their problem wasn't that they're insurrectionists so much as uh, they're they were on the wrong team. This is very distressing. I mean, in a country where we've seen the we saw the weaponization of the deep state within the DOJ and, and the intelligence community against a duly elected Republican president for four years from 2016 to 2020, really before that, actually, from 20 from well, from the early stages of 2016 into uh, the end of the Trump presidency. And we we had no real consequences. I mean, the Durham probe. Remember that? Remember the Durham investigation? We were being told, oh, you know, just wait, set your watch any moment now. Big justice coming from from uh, the federal prosecutor uh, Durham up in Connecticut, uh, the U.S. attorney up in Connecticut. That that led to we've seen nothing from it so far. Not even not not a thing. And yet on the other side of this, you have people who are being held in solitary confinement, treated like they are a clear and present danger with regard to the overthrow of the United States government, because they, I mean, the worst crimes they're actually accused of, Pedro, they did not kill anyone. They did not use uh, a deadly force against anyone. 
The worst crimes, as I understand it, that the people that are being held in detention from January 6th are accused of is assault on a police officer, which is a crime, and they should be punished for that, and I'm very clear and have been very clear about that. But assault on police officers occurred so routinely that it's hard to even keep track of it in Portland, in New York, in Chicago, in Atlanta, for months during the BLM riots. And no one's being held, you know, no, no one's being held in solitary confinement for this. Right. It, again, it doesn't. The issue is not assaulting a police officer. It's uh, why you assaulted them, and what political colors you're wearing. That's the reality that we live in today. I, I think that there is a really pernicious argument or narrative in the mainstream that things like the deep state, this is a conspiracy. Uh, it's not. I mean, the deep state's kind of a, it's, it's, it's an interesting term that I think kind of mystifies what we're really discussing. And really, we're just talking about a, uh, a gigantic political machine that tends to favor or one party has more control over the other. That's really all it is. And I think there's there's a lot of other elements to this, but that's, that's really what we're talking about when we talk about something like the deep state. It's, look, uh, the Democratic Party has successfully aligned itself with a lot of the bureaucratic, corporate, and governmental levers of power, and they've got their hands on them, and they're just willing and able to pull them uh, a lot harder on their enemies. That, that's really what this boils down to. Um, I, I think that this, you, you see how persistent this this kind of this, this dismissal of, of our position is when you consider that CNN and the New York Times have even admitted that the only homicide case around January 6th has collapsed, Officer Sicknick. Uh, the New York Times was forced to issue an attraction, a, a retraction, and CNN admitted that prosecutors are having a really hard time making the sicknick death into a homicide because it's not. And then again, uh, you have more and more evidence of Capitol Police officers who allowed this to happen. It's, it's strange to frame it as an insurrection when the people who were supposed to stop it from being, an, who were supposed to stop the insurrection, did not themselves see it as an insurrection. But again, all of these points are being dismissed. They're, they're uh, misleading, it's misinformation, maybe the Russians are making us say these things, Buck. Maybe I'm taking money from Putin to be on your radio show. I'm just kidding, I'm not. But, that, but that's how actually absurd and and uh, just out of this world the narrative is, that everything we say is somehow a lie. Uh, and again, I we're quick to call it a double standard, but I think it's more of like a hierarchy. They're just reminding you they're in charge, and they actually get to be the ones who decide what is and is not true. Yeah, this is a critical point, by the way, that uh, Republicans, conservatives, talk of double standards is is fine. It does nothing because the other side is happy that they're in a position to enforce those double standards. They don't feel guilty about it. They don't feel like, oh, you're right. We're being unprincipled. Maybe we'll stop. It's what are you going to do about it? And that's what conservatives need to understand is these are the rules of the game now. This is a big change from our from our perception of even a few years ago. We're speaking to Pedro Gonzalez, who is a senior writer at American Greatness. And and related to that point, Pedro, there's been, look, a a lot of focus on Liz Cheney recently and the the leadership battles within the the leadership battle within the Republican Party, in in part because they just want to show dissent uh, in the ranks of the GOP, also because Liz Cheney is really a mouthpiece for the hyperventilating, oh, it's an insurrection uh, point of view on all of this. And so that that's just Democrats love that stuff. I mean, that is Scooby snacks for Democrats. I mean, they can't get enough of it. Uh, but do you think that now that she has been at least somewhat repudiated by some of her colleagues, 
Are we in the process of seeing a, a GOP come together with a message that they're willing to fight because it doesn't they talk a lot about stopping socialism. And I think people, you know, we'll hear this from Mitch McConnell, others, people's eyes roll back in their heads. Like, what, what does that even really mean? Digging in on these issues like wokeness, like indoctrination in the military, indoctrination in schools and trying to win power to change things and use power to change things. Are we moving in that direction or is that too optimistic? I think it's too optimistic. And I don't mean to say that you shouldn't be optimistic about the I am actually I think we ultimately win in the long run. But I think it's important to remain extremely realistic uh, in the short term and, and to look at what's happening with clear eyes in front of us. And I think the removal of Cheney is a good thing, I think, except there's the issue of Stefanik, who is not actually better than Cheney. In some cases, she's actually much worse. She voted less consistently with Trump than Cheney did. But I think maybe as a symbolic victory, Cheney's ouster is is a is more uh, it provides the base with some morale, right, which they need. But on the other hand, we should not interpret this as the GOP going in a fundamentally different direction, and the narratives around banning critical race, around the problems with cultural Marxism and in institutions like the military. And uh, and even around the election itself, around the 2020 election, I think it's important to understand the GOP is not a, the GOP is not above at all using these really hot button issues to basically just rile you up, get your attention, get your money, and get your votes so that you'll put them back in power. And what do they do when they're back in power? They suddenly stop being culture warriors. They drop all of these important issues and revert back to well hold on we can't use antitrust action against google that's crazy that's that's socialism you know it doesn't matter google, sure google's spying on you amazon is putting their boot around your throat and, 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 and profiting from the destruction of small businesses and all that but look let, let's not get carried away here let's let's compromise in silicon valley and it's the same thing with with critical race theory they're passing legislation in places like tennessee but I think th this is th this is the the bigger picture that people on the right need to think about. The issue of critical race theory goes beyond mere legislation. The the basic narrative of critical race theory that America is fundamentally bad and evil, it pervades every tissue in the United States, social, cultural, even religious. Like this is everywhere around us, and even in Tennessee, where they pass laws against this, schools are ignoring the laws. And how do you enforce this? So I guess the issue is, is that on the one hand. We should encourage the GOP to change, uh, but we should not interpret the, these kind of slight changes as indicative of, of a broader fundamental change. Because if we do that, we're going to sit back, fold our arms, and start trusting the plan again. How has that worked out for us? Not well. Yeah, trust, trust the plan is something that people always said about things in recent years when there was no plan and bad things followed. <laughs> that's That's been very clear to me. Whenever I was hearing people say, trust the plan, there was no plan. Uh, this is about a whole range of issues. You'd say, oh, this is a, related to the Trump 4D chess. No, there was no 4D or 8D chess or whatever. That, that was not reality. So I, I do think it's important we live in reality. And, and part of that, Pedro, to try to come back and, and to combat what the left is doing, I think it has to be a recognition that not only do they have control of the system, they understand some of these mechanisms and systems better and are more devoted to using them to their ends. 
such that even when, for example, Trump was in the White House, one thing that I know from some of his top advisors that I've talked to that frustrated him was that there were agencies of the federal government where they would just say, no, we're just not going to do that. Take us to court. You know, we're going to say that this is a violation of um, I, what's that? There was a bureaucratic. They kept bringing this up. It's essentially, uh, you know, moving too quickly without proper authorization or notification or something. It was and they took they actually would take this to court sometimes that the system sometimes will have people who shut down even when we're in charge and won't do what they're told. Right. Yeah. And I think this is actually why the the position of the GOP and the conservative movement, of course, not talking about everyday people, because I think everyday people have a have a good sense of things, unlike their elected officials. Uh, and what is what do you hear from the GP, GOP? Basically, we want to get back to a position of civility. We want to get back to a neutral ground where we just get along and both sides agree to play by the rules. That is a pipe dream. It's never going to happen. And and even with with. And again, I, I'm not criticizing Republican voters. I'm, I'm criticizing their elected officials who tell them that kind of are giving them an opinion instead of uh, listening to them. And so what you're hearing from elected officials is that, uh, that basically the, there's the deep state and there's a swamp and it's all right against us. We need your money to fight it. But also if we work through the system, we can we can overturn the election of 2020. Like you have to recognize the problem here. How are you going to overturn the election if at the same time you're claiming that, that the deep state is, is arrayed against you? And also you're the way that you want to do this is by fighting uh, by kind of uh, Queensbury rules. You see, like the problem here, it, it's like there's this huge task in front of us. Uh, Democrats are cheating. There's the deep state in front of us. But also, if you just keep voting for us and give, your, give us your money, we will take a principled stand against all of this. Like you have to see that there's this violent uh, contradiction. Yeah. And in, in all of these different things. This is like what Cheney offers you, which is a built built in right. loserism with lofty right. promises of the future. That's that's what we have to avoid, I think, at all costs. And we'll continue to talk about it here. Pedro Gonzalez, everybody. American Greatness, amgreatness.com for his latest piece. Pedro, always insightful. Thanks, my friend. Thanks, Buck. I've made the decision to oppose the House Democrats' slanted and unbalanced proposal for another commission to study the events of January the 6th. As everybody surely knows, I repeatedly made my views about the events of January the 6th very clear. I spoke clearly and left no doubt about my conclusions. Federal law enforcement have made at least 445 arrests and counting relating to crimes committed that day. Hundreds of those people have been charged. Law enforcement investigations are ongoing, and federal authorities say they expect to arrest at least 100 or so more. Action is being taken. Accountability is happening for those who broke the law. And we already had an impeachment on this. Why would we have a commission if we already had impeachment, right? So what was the point of the impeachment if now we're going to have a commission in addition to the hearings that Congress had to rush through a second impeachment in one year? These people are nuts. These people are nuts. There's no fairness. There's no fair play. There's no, you know, we want to do this the, the right way. No. What can they get away with that's what this is all about that's the desire here right what helps their power that's it fair play is laughable to democrats i've written about this on bucksexton.com today by the way go check it out about the january 6th commission 
um, I, I wrote an op-ed that I on it because it's just I got so I'm so fed up with with the nonsense what the Democrats are saying with all this. I mean, here's uh, where where is he? Schumer is talking about this too. The biggest attack, oh, the worst thing since the Civil War for what the Republicans are doing, the House Republicans is beyond crazy to be so far under the thumb of Donald J. Trump, letting the most dishonest president in American history dictate the prerogatives of the Republican Party will be its demise. Mark my words. Whatever that means for Democrats, it's bad for America. We know, we all know, there needs to be a thorough and honest accounting of what took place on January 6th, the greatest attempted insurrection since the Civil War. This is the get Democrats reelected or elected in 2022 commission. That's what it really is. And anybody who pays attention to American politics and has a keen eye can see it. Including Schumer. He knows. They all know. The same way that they convinced half the country that Donald Trump was almost personally responsible for COVID, that he was denying the science and all this other idiocy. But it was effective. Cost him reelection. They're now hoping, while they have that utter buffoon Biden running around, uh, that they can get away with the same situation here, the same circumstance um, here, where they just lie about something. They just lie about it. And then we won't ignore, I was rather, rather than we will ignore that the person that they have as the president of the United States is an idiot. That's, that's the plan. Create a narrative of fundamental chaos and threat to the Republic from the Republicans. And don't, you know, don't pay any attention to the fact that people you're going to put in charge are morons like Biden. That's the game plan. Unfortunately, it works sometimes. The show ain't over yet, folks. It's time for Roll Call. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton, Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. But before we get to that, you, you all might have heard that um, I kind of I said a y'all there. I, you know, Producer Mark, I think we have so many stations and so many wonderful listeners in parts of the country that are the South. I think that I think we're allowed to y'all in here now. Are you we? Know? We're, we're allowed to say y'all? I don't, I don't think so because we're still Yankees to them. Well, yeah, I'm, but I'm not a Yankee. I would never. Yeah, but I feel like I'm an honorary y'all sayer at this point. It's okay, you know. Okay, I mean, you can... They, they can write in. Hey, to our Southern team, Buck, you can write in and either either grant or revoke y'all permission to me, because you know it is very useful. I will say it's a very useful term, very useful phrase. Just don't say uh, it in the middle of Manhattan. You might get you know hit upside the head. Yeah, well, that well, you could also just get hit upside the head for just walking down the street of Manhattan, unfortunately. Thanks, de Blasio. Thanks, de Blasio. That's where we are. So, okay. Um, where are we now? We have... Oh, wait. Ronald Reagan telling a joke at 77. Joe Biden telling a joke at 78. I want to note that when Reagan told this joke, he was 77. There were, the media was constantly saying that Reagan was senile. Biden's a year older at the start of his presidency right now, 78, than, than Reagan was when he was telling this joke. And I want you to just hear Reagan's version of the joke, Biden's version of the joke. It really is a metaphor for these two commanders in chief. Play one. 
My Coast Guard aides have been excellent. One of them taught me that, and I quote, the Coast Guard is that hard nucleus about which the Navy forms in time of war. I can only assume that you will enjoy educating your family about how the Coast Guard is, quote, the hard nucleus around the Navy forms in times of war. You are quite, you're a really dull class. You're, 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 you're dull. You're a dull class, you know. Uh, you're, uh, uh, Bad at cap care. Oh, man. Isn't it amazing? Amazing that this is the guy that they put forward. Um, you know, the fact that he's a president, I'm sorry, it's embarrassing. Okay, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. You're a dull class, he says them. No, they're just like, what did you just mumble out, old man? What was and yet president of the United States, everybody so much smarter than Trump. They tell you, oh, sure. He's so much smarter than Trump. Yeah. Yeah. Does does anybody really want to have that debate now? I mean, I'm sure there'd be people who would say he is, but they're out of their minds. Joe Biden's a dumbass. It really is. I mean, it really is. I I never said that about uh, Obama's not dumb. Obama's not dumb. Wrong, but not dumb. Not a genius the way they said he was, but Obama was, was he's a smart guy. Uh, that, that, you know, I, so I, when it comes to Democrats, when it comes to libs, I call it like it is. Joe Biden's dumb. He really is. He's just been, he's been around forever and he's just there and he was useful to them. So they said, okay, you're the guy. You know, he's a, he's a puppet president. It couldn't be any more clear. Uh, all right, John, let's get into our roll call here. Buck, I wanted you and producer Mark to know there are many flavors of Mountain Dew in regular production down south, and Code Red will be easy to find if you ever escape to Florida. RC Cola is still around, too, but not exactly widespread. As for what this category of beverage is called, most people I know and have dealt with in the southeast call all of them Coke, not to be confused with Coca-Cola. A normal beverage conversation would be, can you grab me a Coke? Sure, what kind? Dr. Pepper. This is apparently infuriating to both the pop and soda teams. Always fun to hear the odd discussions outside of politics. She'll say, have you ever heard this, producer Mark, that people just refer to all soda as Coke? I think this is propaganda from Big Coca-Cola. I feel like that's a Georgia thing, if I had to guess, because that's where Coke originates from. And I know like it's like blasphemy to drink a Pepsi in Georgia. Yet I went to a hotel in Georgia once and they only serve Pepsi. Have you ever done a, a blind taste test yourself to see if you could tell the difference? In I, I don't even it doesn't need to be blind. I, know, I can tell the difference. Really? Yeah. hundred percent. I haven't had soda in so long. I have, I have no idea. I mean, I, I'm not saying I'm a regular drinker of either regular Coke or regular Pepsi, but I still know the taste. Yeah, also not true when people say that if you put a rusty nail in a, in a, in a Coke, it, it does not make it disappear. <laughs> There's all these wives' tales about this stuff. It is true if you put a Mentos in a Diet Coke that it will explode. Really? You've never seen that online? No. Yeah, if you drop a Mentos, I think in a regular Coke too, but I know for sure a Diet Coke, if you drop a Mentos in to like a two-liter bottle or any bottle, it'll just explode everywhere. It's actually huh. quite 
funny to watch. You don't. Want I do. I, I think that, and I do not encourage this because it is cruelty to animals. But I think it is true that if you feed Alka Seltzer to um, seagulls, they will like basically implode. Yeah, don't do that. That is. Not you know, don't. I'm not. I'm saying radio. don't do that. But people, this is like a thing. Alka's because they can't burp, and so it, like the gas just builds up. It, they don't actually explode, but they just die. It's mean. It's like you're poisoning them. So I'm just. I'm just thinking of wives' tales or real things. I think that's a that's a real thing. Turns out that's real. Um, I will say one one safety tip for everybody out there because I saw a lot of this in Austin where people had dogs that they were going on long jogs with along with them on a hot day. Dogs do not have sweat glands. Dogs can only exhale heat through their mouths, which means that it's actually very difficult for them to properly regulate body temperature while they're exerting themselves in high heat. So please, public safety tip here. Make sure that you're, you, you don't let your dog run when it wants to run. Don't make your dog run alongside you in really hot weather. They can overheat, and that can be, that can be disastrous. So just a little note out there. I saw people in Austin, in particular when I was there. It was a hot day, and they're all doing these long jogs with, with dogs that, First of all, are not even what I would consider to be distance runner dogs to start with. And second of all, I was like, this is bad. You shouldn't do that. There were signs up. That's also what I thought of. There were signs in Austin saying, please be careful with your dog running because I think people overheat their dogs. A dog is not a six-mile run partner. A dog isn't even really, a, you know, you don't want them running a mile in heat. You want your dog to let them run around the yard and the field, whatever, when they want, and then make sure they have shade and cool water because it's much harder for them than for humans to regulate body temperature and to handle that. Uh, Josh, hey, Buck, I've been trying to represent the Freedom Hut here. It's pretty hard being surrounded by a bunch of libs. I'm usually the only one unmasked everywhere I go. I make them ask me to put it on. Just the other day, I made a local store explain why that is, considering the new CDC recommendation. I stay peaceful and obey their requests, but they have what I want to buy. One last thing. The other day, I was unmasked and decided to wear my red MAGA hat to pick up my kid from school. The looks were hilarious. I'm not looking for trouble. I'm just trying to represent a beacon of courage. People shouldn't be afraid to stand up for their individual freedom. I love my country. I love what you do, Buck. Shields high from California. Wow, now that Josh is telling me he's from California, I'm like, oh, I get it, buddy. Wearing a a MAGA hat in California in most places. I know there are some reddish parts of California, but... Let's be real. If you're in California, you're pretty much surrounded by the uh, by the opposition. And that can be a real challenge. Um, That can be an issue for you in your day to day lives. It can mean that you feel there's a certain uh, hostility around you at all times. So, uh, Josh, it's certainly something that I am aware of. And uh, I I feel you on that because I walk in and out of my building, no mask on. I'm the only person that I've seen not wearing a mask in my building of hundreds. There are hundreds and hundreds of people who live in my. I live in a very like tall, large building in New York. Hundreds of people live here. The only one that I've seen walking out without a mask on is me. The only one. And the the, the guidance has changed in New York. People are still wearing them. What are they doing? Well, they they've been brainwashed. Is really it's very clear they have been brainwashed. Um, oh, but Josh, thank you so much for uh, trying to pass the buck. Tell people about the show. It really, guys, it means so much. Every time you get a new listener to this show, you're just you're helping us out. You're helping us grow, making what we do more and more, you know, impactful. As I always tell you, and I just like to be very upfront with you all about this. You know, we, we don't have some marketing budget. I, I don't spend 
you know, $50,000 a month on Facebook. So I get a lot of people downloading my show and clicking on my show all the time. Other people have that. They do that. I don't have that. I just have all of you. I have the fact that this is the best conservative radio show slash podcast out there right now. That's what I rely on, that the quality of what we do here is so high. You know, I, I feel like we, we're making the best we're making the best dinner for you here. I don't have the biggest billboards. I don't have the most people standing on corners, hanging out, uh, handing out uh, my menu. But we make the best food here. So it's on. It's really all of you telling people about this show. That's what makes it um, continue to be successful and grow. So we do it the old we do it the old fashioned way here. Look, it'd be nice if I had some, you know, billion billionaire uh, professional sugar daddy who was going to write checks for me to, you know, go speak in places and and spend a lot of money on social media to promote my stuff. But it's just me, producer Mark, and this microphone. So that's how we and of course all of our affiliate stations across the country. But I'm saying in terms of promotion of of selling this show to people through the different marketing mechanisms. Um, you know, we're very grateful that we have the affiliates we do. And beyond that, it's word of mouth. It's word of mouth. Uh, Robert Buck and producer Mark love the podcast. It's my daily go to for great insight as to what's really going on in the political world. I have an eighth grade daughter who is not ready to have or who I'm not ready to have vaccinated yet. There's no long term studies available to see what this would do to our kids. The problem is I now the problem I now have is that we all had as kids. The outsider problem is that my friends are getting the vaccine and I don't want to wear masks to school. That's what the kids are saying. I live in Connecticut where it seems imminent that kids will have to wear masks in school if not vaccinated. Question is, Buck, do we move to a state with more sane rules or do we fight the fight for our kids and keep those shields high? Oh, man, Robert, a great question and not not one that I have an easy answer for you on. Do you want to live in a different state? Are you up for that? Can you can your job move or can you easily find a similar job uh, somewhere else? You know, those are the questions you have to ask. Um, will you stand and fight on this one? That's another option. But you'll probably if you if you stand and fight the school board yourself, you will probably at least in the early stages lose. So are you prepared for that? And then you're going to have to abide by the guidance and being the, and be the guy whose kid uh, you know, who, who, you were the guy who was fighting against getting your kid vaccinated, right? That's what's going to happen. Robert, as you know, I'm a realist. I I do order of battle in my head as it is, not as, as, as I wish it were. So you, you would have to tell me, can you move to another state? Is that really disruptive to your family? If the answer is you'd be happy to do it, man, go to Florida, go to Tennessee, go to Texas, go to a zero income tax state where you have red state government and greater freedom, greater protection, Second Amendment rights, lower cost of living. Connecticut's very expensive. So, but if you got to stay, and this is important to you, you're going to, you know, you're going to have that fight. But it's just, it's like I, I try to tell people this. Sometimes you got to stand up to the bully. Just know that you're probably not actually going to get away with punching the bully once and winning the fight. You might get punched and you might lose even after you stand up to the bully. Just remember that. Doesn't mean you don't do it. Just means you got to be realistic about what you're facing. Roll call continuing here. Eric. Next up, uh, we have, well, Buck, the libs have finally gone full full grown and blown, full blown crazy here in Portland. 
I finished reading a recent article from the Oregonian describing we will now need to provide proof of vaccination in order for go masks indoors. I wanted to spread the word about the disgraceful leadership being shown by the Dems here at Oregon. Also, what do you think about a Ron DeSantis and Rand Paul duo for the 2024 presidential race? I've been very impressed with Rand Paul's aggressiveness when taking on the Libs. Side note, producer Mark, you are much too young to sound this grumpy all the time. Shields high. Um, first, I'll let producer Mark respond. Me? Grumpy? Never. Exactly. Huh. As for the Oregonians uh, dis- uh, describing in, in this article that you need to have proof of vaccination, here's a part of this that I don't think has gotten enough attention. If you have to provide proof of vaccination one time this time, won't you have to do that again? When there are booster shots, which we're not talking about right now because everyone knows that that would be a real kick in the face and make us realize, oh, wait, they think this is reality forever now. But they're probably going to bring that up. And there's still you've got the CDC director talking about variants you got Fauci out there, the variants, you know, to this, to that, the other thing, the variants. So, yeah, that's what's actually happening. That's what we see going on. And yet we don't talk about it because it would be politically costly for Democrats. It would be a politically costly situation for them right now to say that there's going to be booster shots. But if you have to prove it this time, you're going to have to prove it next time, which means you get for you get not only forever covid uh, restrictions, but you get forever vaccine passports. You know, just just give it time. Remember, vaccine passports liberals are in favor of voter I.D. They somehow oppose voter I.D. is crazy. How dare you say we should have voter I.D.? That's racist vaccine passport. Oh, that's great. Go for that. They are all about it. And then you also said a. Uh, a Rand Paul, Eric, uh, Ron DeSantis ticket. DeSantis Paul. Um, look, I hope DeSantis runs for president and wins in 2024. That's my belief. That's my hope right now. Well, who knows? That's a long ways away. Uh, Rand Paul, I really like his ideas. I like his consistency and his principle. He lacks retail, political retail skills. Um, he does. So I don't know if that'll work, but I do like I do like and respect his ideas as a politician and what he does. So I got a lot of respect for Rand Paul, but he's just not a he's not a charismatic enough guy, I think, to be president. That's the truth. But maybe I'm wrong. Sometimes I am. Not usually. That's it for today, folks. Thanks so much for being here. Back tomorrow. Shields high.